Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, weekly news show that's so hard-hitting that we may have been knocked off of Rumble thanks to the new Canadian censorship law. Um, a previous attempt to start the broadcast in a timely fashion didn't work. So we'll see how that goes. But meanwhile, we are on Twitch and we're going to be on YouTube, um, God and the YouTube uh, people willing. So uh, we're still here questioning everything. And my special guest host, Kat McGuire, is here to disturb you. If you find Kat disturbing, change the channel quickly. Hey, Kat, welcome. Congratulations on all the great stuff you did last week. Hey, thanks. I can't wait to talk about it all and share with people what we're doing here in New York City against these uh, COVID vaccine mandates. Okay, so let's get into all of the disturbing stuff we do uh, after a couple more disclaimers. Um, there's the disturbing disclaimer, and then the next disclaimer is the, what is it, the medical health disclaimer. So don't take any medical advice from us. Although, uh, if you really need pine needle tea, uh, which is an herbal uh, attempt to cope with respiratory illnesses, let me know, and I'll send you some. If you're a regular False Flag Weekly News contributor, uh, I might be able to send you some pine needles. I've got tons and tons of pine needles. Um, they, they just worked on an electrical thing and they had to take part of a pine tree down and I stuck it in a barrel of water outdoors, which is going to freeze, but I think the pine tree will be good through Christmas. It'll be, a, even though I'm a Muslim, having a pine needle tea pine tree outside my door probably would help me get in the spirit of the season. So anyway, uh, people can contact me by way of truthjihad at gmail and let me know if you're a regular supporter of False Fly Weekly News. Uh, I can send you some pine needles, and it's not guaranteed to cure anything. Always talk to a real expert like your doctor if you have any serious issues. But, hey, uh, Kat, uh, I felt really good after drinking a bunch of pine needle tea when I was sick earlier this year. So <laughs> moving on to more disclaimers. Do we have any more disclaimers here? Are we? No, we're good to go. All right, there's Kat McGuire. Is that Kat McGuire or is that a, a bad nurse? Kat, wh what's going on here? That's an unhinged um, nurse who is uh, delivering boosters to the crowd. Um, if we go to the next story, I'll show what uh, is there. Are we ready to go to the next one? Because I really, I really like the title of this next story. Watch New York City woman dressed as nurse cackle, mock COVID-19 vaccine at Halloween parade. The New York uh, Village Halloween parade is the largest live um, event in the United States. And uh, for, for Halloween. And we just had a ball because we had all of these money heads behind us, dollar signs. And then I went right into the crowd and as an unhinged nurse. And my script uh, for all of them was boosters for the rest of your lives. Money, money, money. <laughs> and it just cuts straight through any kind of common sense reasoning, which they have been doing. And just the absurdity and reality of vaccines forever, it's like people totally got it. But even more so, here is a rational editor at MSN News who uses the word mock and COVID-19 vaccine in the same sentence. Since when have we in mainstream news been able to acknowledge that this vaccine could even be mocked? It's, it's almost like the humor was an anesthesia dart that uh, just was able to subvert the normal censorship and just penetrate through that mockingbird pan opticon so that even the mainstream news was 
was receiving the full message as is. It was humor can subvert censorship. It's great. Well, here's how the mainstream reported this. And in today's most entertaining story, a New York City woman has been caught dressing as a nurse and committing sacrilege by cackling and mocking the sacred COVID-19 vaccines at the Halloween parade. Uh, that's, that's great. <laughs> you, you can't generate better coverage than that. It's sort of like, uh, like, like Trump being outrageous and obnoxious and attacking the media and the media beats the crap out of him thinking that he'll die. And instead, everybody ends up hating the media even more than Trump. And a lot of them end up voting for Trump. Uh, so if it could work for an obnoxious idiot like Trump, it probably could work even better for a cool person like you, Kat. Thank you. Yes. What I most appreciated was I was looking directly in the eyes of hundreds of people as I went down the Halloween parade line. And you could just tell that the humor cut through and they completely got it. A few of them were like, get away from me. But almost uniformly, the people got it. So I feel like it was a really good message, far more than our many of our uh, posters at the demonstration. This one really cut through. Well, you know, mockery and and sacrilege and, and humor uh, is actually a good weapon against, um, well, you know, what what we Muslims would call a shirk or idolatry as worshiping something that doesn't really deserve to be worshipped, which is technically anything other than God. It's certainly not vaccines. Uh, you know, they're, they're supposed to be on the plane of what you can debate. Um, science is all about open, free, rational debate, trying to figure out what's going on in the space time material world. And if you don't have that free and open debate where people can say whatever they want, then, you know, you're likely to have a, a biased environment that takes you away from the empirical scientific truth. So actually mocking uh, these idolatrous, uh, you know, vaccine worship kinds of uh, blasphemy things that are going on is a good way to promote scientific discourse. Uh, I'm sure that probably Anthony Fauci wouldn't see it that way. But hey, what does he know? So <laughs> let's uh, let's continue to talk about the vaccines in totally unacceptable ways here because we're not on YouTube yet. We're on the free speech alternative Twitch, and we thought we were going to be on the free speech alternative Rumble, but I don't know whether we are or not because Canada just passed a censorship law, and suddenly our Rumble broadcast didn't work today. So we'll see about that. But anyway, since we're not on YouTube, we can talk about this next story, which is about how in Germany – uh, this it appears that there's uh, 75 cases actually in, in Europe, but the story is from Germany. 75 cases of athletes who either keeled over dead or became extremely uh, ill or crippled during the past five months. And the question is, what does it mean? Is it a coincidence? Is this actually the normal rate of athletes keeling over? Or could there be some vaccine related problem? You're not allowed to ask that question on YouTube. So that's why we're asking it now. Right. And the media certainly isn't asking the question, did the athletes take the vaccine? That's the obvious question that you're going to ask, because this is almost statistically impossible. I'm no statistician, but I mean, think about it. it it's just really sort of impossible. It, the average person would be like, huh, is there any correlation? Nope. Can't ask that. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we, we don't know what this means, but if we can't actually even notice this, I mean, the, the atmosphere that's been created by the one-sided media coverage, the one-sided so-called scientific and academic discourse is such that if something pretty bad were happening with these vaccines, I don't trust the <laughs> institutionalized custodians of knowledge to, to figure it out. 
because there's obviously such a systematic bias that they're going to look away as long as they possibly can. Now, I don't know whether this is a real problem or not, uh, but I do know that the prohibition against talking about it is a real problem. You know, it's, uh, tri- tricking your body into manufacturing spike proteins might be a good way to save you from COVID or to increase your odds of surviving COVID should you catch it. That's possible. But it's also possible that there might be some uh, downstream side effects, perhaps medium or long-term ones. And that possibility is universally acknowledged by the professionals, and yet we can't talk about it. It's ridiculous. Um, so next story, while we're still in the pre-YouTube broadcast, and we can talk about these kinds of medical issues. Here's a new uh, article from Eugipius that points out that the latest data from the UK Health Security Agency confirms what they've been putting out now for, for a month or two, I think, which is that in all the age groups where COVID is even remotely a statistical uh, big time danger, or, you know, notable danger, which is over 30. And I mean, that's, that's being very conservative. In all of those age groups, it appears that there are far more COVID cases among vaccinated people than unvaccinated people in the UK. Um, I noticed the New York Times didn't publish this story in its uh, in front, big screaming front page headlines. I can't imagine why not. Well, the bigger story is that they have yet to come clean with any of their data. Every last bit of data since this whole thing started uh, last year has been a case of cooking the books. And it's just astonishing the degree that people allow a fog of willful ignorance to envelop them. So not even many of the people are asking, uh, where's the data? It's just it's it's a travesty of lack of transparency. It's a. Uh, it's almost a human right to have transparency that is being violated at this point. And the authorities in uh, the UK who are putting out these statistics are trying to cover it up. They they stopped drawing graphs. And so Eugipius himself had to actually draw the graph based on their official data. And now the usual propagandists oh. are complaining to the UK Health Security Agency saying, stop putting out this data. It's People are thinking that it means that the vaccines don't work. So... Let's say we were allowed to have an actual free and fearless debate about this, and which, which both sides could argue their points. How would the mainstream respond trying to explain away this data showing that for everybody over 30 in the UK, currently there are a lot more COVID cases among vaccinated people than unvaccinated people? Well, what they would say is this could be partly due to vaxxed people being paranoid about COVID and getting tested all the time. And then they become cases, whereas the unvaxxed are a bunch of fearless uh, people like like us who just go or go through life without getting constantly tested for COVID. Well, that could be true. Then again, most of the vaxxed people are brainwashed into thinking that they almost certainly won't catch COVID. So why would they get tested all the time? So I'm I'm not you know, I'm not convinced that there's an easy way to explain this away. It does look like the vaccines aren't really slowing down people from catching COVID. And if that's true, then the public health rationale for forcing everybody, uh, regardless of their own, uh, of their desire to be vaccinated, to, to get the vax, completely disappears, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Everything about this entire phenomenon from the mass to the social distancing to uh, the COVID and the vaccines, it's it's all, we live in an Orwellian world, so it's upside down. Um, black is white. We're not getting any truth whatsoever. And what we do get, you can't even trust those numbers. It's worse than uh, the Soviets um, on when the Russians lived under the Soviet system. It, it, it is truly worse. 
And yet uh, there's a bad news COVID story, you know, pretty much every day to keep us in that state of fear. And the latest, uh, oh, dear story was about the deer uh, catching COVID. Um, this, is, this is crazy. It's like two-thirds of the deer have COVID now. It's almost hunting season in Wisconsin, and the deer are all coming down with COVID. In response, the State Department of Natural Resources has accepted a grant from the Bill and Melinda Soros Foundation to convince the deer to practice masking, social distancing, and mass vaccination, and to teach Bambi about gender fluidity and critical species theory. <laughs> Actually, I don't think like Bambi really needs to learn about gender fluidity. I, mean, I can't even remember if Bambi is a boy fawn or a girl fawn. Um, but hey, at least we know that Godzilla is a guy, right? <laughs> remember, Bambi meets Godzilla. Godzilla. I mean, that film was made back in the day when men were humongous killer lizards and deer were scared. Um, but we're in a whole new world now, Kat. Well, um, what defies logic then? If deer are getting it, then how come it hasn't jumped to dogs and cats who live with us? I mean, what next? We're going to quarantine Rover. But seriously, they are um, it, when they're vaccinating animals in zoos. Um, I'm surprised they haven't started vaccinating trees. But Alan Reese has. Don't give him any ideas. I know. Alan Reese has a really good um, idea about why um, the deer are getting it and who knows what other animals is that they're spraying it from helicopters. I think they want the whole world to be saturated with this because it's not even, it's not even a a real disease and and they want everyone to have to get mRNA. So uh, we we might be on YouTube now. We're going to start the YouTube broadcast very soon if we have a So, so. uh... <laughs> we well, can't we can't be uh, blaspheming the the uh, holy uh, belief systems of our medical establishment anymore. But we can certainly say that this is darn right weird that all you know two thirds of the deer have COVID. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's it's very strange. And Alan's theory that they're spraying it from helicopters um, it sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory, but. You know, the, the world uh, is going crazier all the time. Well, and the official theories are the craziest of all. Well, are they doing the same tests on the deer as they're doing on us, the tests that are worthless? And so maybe that's where the, the jiggered numbers are coming from. They're using worthless tests on deer just as they do on humans. So it used to be that they had to test all the deer that the hunters shot for chronic wasting disease. Uh, now I guess they're going to have to give the deer, you know, COVID tests too. So I get, you know, you shoot a deer and then you have to stick a Q-tip up its nose. Uh, <laughs> I know mean, deer hunting season isn't what it used to be anyway, but, um, okay. Well, now we're definitely on the YouTube broadcast. I'm pretty sure. So we're going to talk about the social implications of all of this madness and mania without debating the medical issues. So vaccine mandates. Oh my goodness. Biden is suddenly slamming the corporations with more than a hundred or more employees. Uh, they're all going to have to vaccinate everybody by January. And he's invoking OSHA, the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, uh, emergency powers over workplace safety. So um, uh, I, I kind of can see why Biden's poll numbers are tanking and Republicans are, are winning elections, because I don't think this is as popular as the media wants you to think. Yeah, I don't believe their numbers at all, but I'm especially concerned about moms and pops. Uh, Businesses under 100 people are supposedly exempt from this, but moms and pops will then be easy pickings. But in terms of, you know, do people really support this? Well, here's my kitchen table poll is that I go out to um, in our rallies. I sell buttons. Like, for example, I have uh, a button. Big, uh, big pharma, bad karma. I've got a bunch of these buttons. Coercion is not consent. 
And the one that is the most popular is we will not comply. Grandmothers are buying this. People you wouldn't even expect. It's like, oh, my God, because this is a pretty, like, I am not going to follow your law and order. And these are like little old ladies with gray hair, the uh, kids. We will not comply is my biggest number one seller. And that is a pretty strong statement that the average American is making who knows what's going on. And I think uh, there are some workers at places like Boeing and Mercedes and so on who are buying your buttons. Because in our next slide, we see that even Reuters is admitting that there's a U.S. worker rebellion over these mandates uh, in Wichita, Kansas. Half of the 10,000 employees at Textron and Spirit Aerosystems are still unvaccinated, and these workers are risking their jobs in defiance of a federal mandate, according to union officials. Uh, and the story points out that many workers don't object to the vaccines as such. Instead, they're staunchly opposed to what they see as government meddling in personal health decisions. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. Whatever you think about the medical debate, it does seem to me that we should support uh, privacy uh, for people's uh, medical decisions and, and autonomy and things like that. That should be something everybody can agree on. Yeah, it's just going through all dimensions of our society. Here in New York, we are particularly aware in New York City because of the stringent mandates that um, our whacked out governor or mayor has put in place. And um, it, it's it's really separating the wheat from the chaff, people who realize what's going on and people who don't. But everybody is intimidated because uh, everybody becomes their own little uh, Nazi, um, are forced to play the Stasi agent. And it makes it really hard for people to come forward uh, because it's all the, the policing has become individuated. And um, each individual has to decide, are they going to play a Nazi Stasi agent or are they going to listen to their um their own uh, inner moral compass, which usually ends up being you get fired. And that's what just happened in New York City, where 9,000 unvaccinated workers were put on unpaid leave as New York City's mandate begins. Well, you're in the thick of this, Kat. You were all over the mainstream media this week leading these protests in New York City, and you've been doing similar things now for months. Uh, tell us about what's happening with these municipal workers all being thrown out. Well, we have been trying and trying to break into the union. That's but the next slide, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and um, the problem is there's no telephone number for rank and file unions. We can get to the top guys, but they are all completely beholden to the Democrats. And um, what finally was able to break through to the unions is some of the um, union workers, the rank and file started organizing. And the first ones to do that were the healthcare workers and the teachers. Um, most of those were women, um, but it took a while for the really big ones, um, which would be um, the police, the firefighters, the EMS emergency workers and sanitation. They have finally started coming out. We're working with them and um, they have never really demonstrated before. We had a, a huge march. It's the biggest one we've had. It's not like Paris and London, but we did have 15,000 workers, um, New York City workers, uh, march across the Brooklyn Bridge. It was very exhilarating for New York. It's the biggest numbers we have. But what was interesting is when do police and firemen march? They couldn't. They, they couldn't figure out or I don't even know if they could get a permit. They came to us to get the, to do a permit for them to march. So that was kind of funny. But um, it's really kind of unfortunate. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So of you going to the police to get a permit to march, the police went to you to get a permit to march. Yes, the rank and file came to us to get the permit. 
because okay. I, I don't know if they couldn't or they didn't know how or what, but so that big permit, we were, we helped them get that to be able to do the march. But it's, it's really insidious what they're doing. The unions at the high level are caving in. And so it's really difficult to have solidarity because people are extorted with their paychecks. But we have found rank and file people who know that this is for their children and we're coming together. Our, our huge big rally is going to be November 20th. And we're hoping um, to get kind of the, the numbers that we've seen in London, Paris and other parts of Europe. Um, we're, we're really putting together coalitions. So we'll see what we can bring together November 20th. And will this be nationwide on November 20th? No, this is worldwide. This is the fifth worldwide demonstration. Over 180 countries have been participating in the the past four. And November 20th will be the fifth. And so it's a worldwide, worldwide energy coming together that we must stop this insanity. And how do people find out if there are any demonstrations near them? Which website or Telegram page or whatever should they go to? Um, well, for worldwide, you can go to worldwidedemonstration.com. And then for New York City, I maintain a community calendar. So we could put it in the show notes, the URL for that. Sounds good. Okay. Well, it's, it's really heating up and they're trying to make life miserable for uh, people who don't want these shots. So one of the things they're doing apparently is cutting back on all kinds of benefits, uh, including death benefits. I think this also was was about New York, wasn't it? Uh, and New York workers, uh, like in, in the transit system, are not going to get death benefits, or rather their families won't get any death benefits if they haven't been vaccinated when they die uh, of COVID or said to have died of COVID. And so <laughs> the way this was written up by CNN was that, uh, you know, the, the workers who refused to get vaccinated face financial repercussions, and now the financial fallout might follow workers beyond the grave. Well, that sounds pretty bad. They're going to follow you behind the beyond the grave if you don't get vaccinated. Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it's a full court press of indoctrination that they keep trying. Um, this is sort of similar to the gay discrimination when gays could not get married and the survivor couldn't get insurance. And where's the ACLU for all of this stuff? Uh, I guess they're still fighting a, a more heightened version of gay rights with the whole transgender thing. That the ACLU is deep into transgender, but here is a very clear-cut case of discrimination, and the ACLU is uh, MIA. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I do think that part of the reason that people's energy and attention has been funneled over towards things like transgender this and identity switch that is because that stuff doesn't threaten the billionaires and the uh, big time establishment and anything that does, they're going to be pushing back really hard against. And boy, are they ever pushing back, but we're pushing back too. here in Wisconsin, our top two football stars this year, uh, Aaron Rodgers, who everybody knows pretty much. And Leo Chanel, who's now becoming a big name in Wisconsin. He's the uh, linebacker who spends most of his time in the other team's backfield. And both of these guys are, uh, Apparently conscientious objectors uh, for slightly different reasons. Aaron Rodgers uh, did his research and uh, made up his mind based on that. And Leo Chanel, is he doesn't like the uh, fact that these vaccines were developed using research from you know, stem cells coming from aborted fetuses. So, uh, and, I, and I guess he also probably doesn't trust the, some of the medical information about them either. So anyway, Aaron Rodgers is now being scapegoated 
nationwide in our new Big Brothers Two Minutes of Hate show. And uh, I just broke the story about Leo Chanel. I've been in touch with his dad, who's encouraging him and uh, hoping that they can get some kind of pushback at the University of Wisconsin against these draconian uh, vax rules. So that, that is kind of interesting that these, these two guys who are doing so well here in Wisconsin at football, our top two names in, in football, both pro and college, are now kind of icons of the resistance. Well, your article mentioned Kyrie Irving and the demonstration that our group helped organize against um, um, the fact that um, he was kind of forced to uh, not um, continue with his job because he didn't want to get vaccinated. So um, two weeks ago or so, we went to Barclays Center for the opening game and we passed out hundreds of these. Uh, stand with Kyrie. Well, let me get it in here. Hundreds of them that people were able to take into the um the this the basketball place um yeah, they, I, got, I really, they got really unruly they were chanting let Kyrie play and they were barging in i mean that's what we should do with aaron Rodgers in the stadium in arrowhead stadium in kansas city this uh that's what is that tomorrow uh, packers fans ought to you know like, packers fans travel all over the country following the packers well i think they should go to kansas city and they should all just barge in without tickets chanting let aaron play yeah, well, it got a little dicey and um, it wasn't quite <laughs> what we had planned because we have a very firm stand on civil disobedience and no violence. And um, um, some people who weren't necessarily part of our group came to four and, and were we, we that we would not have done it quite that way. Yeah. So, so you weren't actually organizing any barging into the stadium. No, we did not want to do that because um, um, it too much mirrored January 6th, and we're a hair's breadth away from being the next January 6th uh, protesters that the government is just chomping at the bit to uh, put us behind bars, too, with the 600 who are in bars now for things as little as parading and trespassing. So, um, and that's another reason that we keep close connections with the police. Who would have ever thought me, a longtime leftist, would be very much in alignment with the police, but they are um, a barrier between us and the feds. And the police were actually there and they didn't do anything. They didn't really care. The police are basically, the rank and file police are very much on our side and have been highly supportive of us. Excellent. Well, so maybe I should withdraw that suggestion that Packer fans go barge into Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, uh, which, of course, could lead to like the, the soccer riots in Europe could look like nothing once we start having football riots here in America. And if that happened, of course, they would demonize Packer fans. And suddenly everybody, you know, the Green Bay Packer uh, cap on or a shirt or something would become a new domestic terrorist. And they would be, uh, you know, raiding uh, the state of Wisconsin and trying to lock all of us up in Guantanamo. So maybe you're right, Kat. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Uh <laughs> it doesn't mean be wimps. We can do really serious stuff beyond just chanting. Let's do serious stuff. But it has to be disciplined civil disobedience, disciplined CD. Oh, that sounds good. Well, we're living in very strange times. And uh, the new normal winter is coming, predicts the, the next season of our strange times. Wait a minute. Before we get there, we have one more sports star story. Sports star COVID story, uh, Denny Varnhagen, an ICU nurse who's also an Australian rules football star? Really? Uh, maybe I'll have to watch all, uh, <laughs> Australian rules football. Uh, anyway, she is uh, now the latest uh, sports celebrity resistance icon over in Australia, where apparently they need them. Uh, well, you know, I feel kind of sorry, actually, for all these stars, the sport, sports stars and all. Their personal 
HIPAA status is being constantly publicly doxxed or demanded to be doxxed. Um, and on the one hand, well, you're a celeb that goes with the territory. This is beyond that. This is a, uh, a real violation of people's health. If they can do it to them, then they can do it to all of us. And I really support those um, celebrities against uh, the whole bulwark of their peers who have capitulated, who are standing strong, and we have to support them. And that's why we came out in full for Stand with Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And and stand with Denny, too. As she said, no one should be at threat of losing their jobs if they don't enter a medical experiment. Huh? That's very true. Okay, now, uh, the strange time story. Uh, the new normal winter could be the strangest of the strange times. We've already had two crazy COVID winters. And this one, oh, my goodness. Um, and uh, the, the, Okay, tell us about this story, Ken. Um, well, it's a continuation of um, C.J. Hopkins's um, analysis of how people have just gone uh, kind of uh, batshit, you know what, they're just crazy. Um, when measured people like James Corbett are saying a disaster is coming, um, I don't take that um, lightly. Um, there, we, we have, uh, I, I did a presentation on Cyber Polygon. Um, clearly, they have something in store, and C.J. Hopkins isn't even writing his uh, normal satire. It is straight warning people that this, the new normal that is coming is not going to be good, and I believe that they're going to use food as a weapon. Um, and if we recall Henry Kissinger's famous quote, control oil and you control nations, control food and you control the people. And um, it, it's as if they're... Um, um, the, the COVID-19 pandemic is no longer having as much force. Too many people are getting it and resisting. So they're about to come back with another one-two punch. And I'm pretty certain in my, based on my research, food is going to be at the top of the list of what they're going to throw at us. The lack okay. of food. Yeah. Wow. Well, it, the supply chains are getting a little dicey. Uh, and, and C.J. Hopkins uh, writes, you know, very strongly and not very satirically, as you mentioned in this article. He points out the unvaccinated and other infidels and heretics are being hunted by fanatical, hate-drunk mobs uh, and being dragged before the new normal Inquisition and made examples of all over the world. And unfortunately, that's not much of an exaggeration. Um, well, let's move on to our, our favorite uh, Marcus Welby, M.D., uh, sweet and warm and fuzzy character, Anthony Fauci who is being protected against accusations that he funded hideous torture experiments on puppy dogs by none other than the Washington Post. And in this Glenn Greenwald article, Greenwald points out that this white coat group, which is organizing to try to protect animals against cruel experiments, got lots of very favorable mainstream coverage uh, right up until now, when suddenly, because it's mentioning Fauci's role in torturing puppy dogs, uh, their public enemy number one. So this just goes to show how the media no longer is interested in being fair, or balanced, or objective. It's all propaganda all the time. Exactly. I remember back in the 1980s as an animal rights activist protesting against the testing on beagles. I can't believe that's still going on. Um, and of course, it's horrific to dogs. And yet, we are in a worldwide experiment being actively carried out against the human species, and it's barely well, creating an uproar. Mm-hmm. Well, most most people are drooling like Pavlov's dog uh, on command. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they. they uh, it, it's not just their bodies that have been 
um, hijacked it's their brains. I fully believe that. But I think the double standard is losing traction. Um, Newsweek had an opinion piece called How Fauci Fooled America. So I think people are waking up. And um, Tucker Carlson had a, a wonderful uh, segment um, that in the face of massive irrelevance, the media keeps doubling down with their same narratives, pro-Fauci, pro-Biden, anti-Trump, and pro-mandates. People are not buying it more and more. And Glenn Greenwald does a great job in this article. He points out that as this controversy has unfolded, uh, media outlets have expressed no interest in the immorality and atrocities of these taxpayer-funded dog experiments and instead have acted as political activists with only one goal, protect Dr. Fauci. And uh, that pretty well sums it up. Uh, well, let's move on to Ron Paul. Uh, Ron Paul is still doing good work uh, at the Ron Paul Institute and in this next article, he begins by mentioning the uh, the hideous uh, dog torture experiments. And, and those really are disgusting. <laughs> They're almost all completely unnecessary. And then he goes on to talk about the unique patient identifier. That's a proposal to give everybody a medical ID number that theoretically could be called up uh, at checkpoints, uh, you know, TSA and so on. And your entire medical history could be read by Big Brother and they could then decide whether to let you on the airplane or what have you. It sounds completely insane that we even be considering this, but apparently the Senate and House versions of the Labor, Education, and Health and Human Services Appropriations Bill uh, actually had that. Um, so Ron Paul says we need to pressure Congress to remove this uh, from that bill. Right. It's just a step away from a, a, a passport, a universal passport that's going to create a two-tiered segregated society that we're already slowly goose-stepping into. In New York City, for example, a majority of the black um, community in New York is not vaccinated. And 70 percent of America blacks are not uh, vaccinated. Uh, so now are we back to Jim Crow days? Are we going to start seeing segregated water fountains and segregated swimming pools? Um, it, it's it's really pretty bad, but people cannot see how um, the, the, the fear of death is uh, blocking any kind of moral compass that they might have. Yes. Well, it's interesting that, that three almost three quarters of black Americans are uh, unvaccinated. I guess that community has some bad memories of medical experiments that didn't turn out so well. They may not trust the folks running those experiments. And one certainly understands why that would be. Um, so, yeah, the unique patient identifier, medical ID, uh, papers, please stuff that that needs to be taken down. And there's a lot of resistance, though. It's, it isn't, you know, not everybody is drooling like Pavlov's dog. Uh, there's pushback and we're seeing that with the elections. It seems like the people who are most on board with the new normal propaganda stuff, uh, such as Biden and the Democrats, let's face it, uh, are not doing so well in, the, in these latest elections and especially in Virginia where uh, this Youngkin uh, upstart defeated uh, Governor McAuliffe, who had been very closely identified with uh, with mainstream orthodoxy on a number of issues. And over in New Jersey, uh, Phil Murphy almost got knocked off by another Republican upstart, which would have been an even more outrageous upset. So, Kat, do you think that these election results are maybe going to scare Biden and his people a little bit, make them think twice about all these mandates and draconian restrictions? Well, they should. It's unprecedented that a sitting president, a sitting vice president, and a former eight-year president were all for um, the Democratic candidate, and that candidate still lost. So I see the Virginia election as a total referendum 
um, against Biden, the Biden administration, excuse me, Obama, the Biden administration, the Democrats and critical race theory, because um, much of it had to do with um, the, the whole concept of parents shouldn't be telling schools what they should teach. And supposedly the secretary of education said critical race theory, CRT is not being taught, but that's a lie. It really is. And um, that's what people are coming out for. It's not just against Democrats. It's coming out against this critical theory, critical race theory that's there. But what's interesting about this election is that among the demographics um, that are typically uh, vote Democratic, many young voters rejected um, the sitting governor. So um, and a number of young voters, more young voters than those over 45 rejected him. So that's kind of weird because our young are... Um, by and large, have been had their minds occupied after going through years of re-education camps, i.e. the universities. So that was a very positive sign that I would like to see them um, de, uh, um, deconstruct more and figure out what was going on there. And it could be something just as simple as so many of our young people are so dumbed down, maybe they just saw the name Youngkin. Oh, oh, that's our candidate. Could be. <laughs> maybe so. I, I hope not. Uh, I hope it hasn't reached that point. But I do think that the, you know, this idea that either you teach critical race theory or you don't teach critical race theory is really not the right way to frame this. It should be, how do you teach it? There's nothing wrong with teaching it alongside other perspectives. But when people are uh, propagandized and beaten over the head with these various theories, that's when it becomes a problem. And also I would think that, you know, this, uh, like pornography for kindergartners and things like that, these kinds of gender bending, uh, uh, bizarre abnormalities in the current educational situation probably have something to do with why there's uh, so much of rebellion at the local PTAs and school boards. I agree. And that had something to do with how this election turned out. Okay. So moving on to, uh, the next election story, a truck driver who spent less than $2,000 on his campaign. And that's, that's actually less than I spent on my, uh, ridiculous long shot campaign in 2008. A guy named Edward Durr has defeated the Democratic leader of the New Jersey State Senate, Steve Sweeney. And nobody can figure out how the heck he did it. $1,800 and it was just on printing up some flyers and passing out donuts. And he knocked off one of the most powerful politicians in the state of New Jersey. So maybe there is a grassroots rebellion out there. Um, I'd really like to read what I think are two very defining quotes. One was from Durer, who won, and he said, quote, I joked with people and I said, I'm going to shock the world. I'm going to beat this man. I was saying it, but really kind of joking, because what chance did a person like me really stand against this man? He's literally the second most powerful person in the state of New Jersey. So he, he just went in there without any guile and, and he, he nailed it as a, a amazingly um, I, I have so much respect for what he did as a joke. But the other quote that is also just as uh, telling is the New Jersey State Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg, a Democrat, said, quote, it is stunning and shocking and I cannot figure it out. Yeah, go back in your bubble, lady. <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of uh, these establishment pundits are scratching their heads uh, you know, it's, it's like that old Bob Dylan line. You know, something's happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? And uh, Mr. Jones doesn't understand what's going on with Let's Go Brandon either, but he's trying to figure it out, and, and he's freaking out. 
the pundits and reporters uh, used to tell us that profane insults of sitting presidents were perfectly fine. That was back in the Trump era. And this is the next slide, by the way, Alan. Uh, but now we're in the post-Trump era and suddenly uh, obscene uh, insults, even if they're couched in harmless phrases like, let's go, Brandon, are no longer acceptable. So a uh, Southwest Airlines pilot may get fired for those. And it's a, it's a big stink. I'm not sure why it's such a big stink. Uh, your thoughts, Kat? Well, it, it's not just the hypocrisy of it all, because they were doing F-bombing Trump uh, left and right. All civility went out the door. Um, Cheryl Atkinson uh, said that that's when they we began um, as a nation calling the president a liar. So it was almost daily an extreme F-bombing Trump. So now all of a sudden there's all this pearl clutching. Oh, what are they doing? But it's it's beyond the hypocrisy double standard. It's extreme am- amnesia. Don't they forget the four years of hounding that they did. Um, and in this story, there was a, another um, quote that I think is worth uh, calling out. Um, the corporate conglomerates are wanting to take excuse me, preemptive action to prevent these kind of outbursts. And so um, a quote from the story is NASCAR and NBC have since taken steps to limit ambient crowd noise during interviews. What is that going to entail? How do you limit ambient background crowd noise? I don't know. Well, I know my microphone that I'm using now, thanks to one of our generous viewers, uh, actually does limit ambient noise because it's directional. So maybe they've got some tricks like that. So I guess from now on, we're going to have to sneak up behind them while they're doing their interviews and hold up signs saying, you know, F Joe Biden or whatever you want to get onto the mainstream media that's taboo. But uh, so I, I, I think this is a telling sort of incident when something sneaks onto the mainstream media that isn't supposed to be there. It, it creates a, a huge fuss and that's good. And we should keep trying to shoehorn subversive messages into mainstream media like you did this weekend. Right. Using humor. Humor can yeah. really subvert it. I love it. It goes straight to the funny bone and bypasses the brain. All right. Well, let's uh, let's not bypass the brain too much, uh, because that's what the mainstream does, is they pretty much bypass the brain all the time. Um, where's, Fight where's fire next? with fire. Fight fire with fire. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. Where are we here? Okay. The FEC, Federal Elections Commission, says it's perfectly fine for foreigners to fund ballot measures, but not elections. Um, and I guess uh, there's a picture of, of Putin chuckling uh, at his ability to take over the United States by funding ballot measures. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So so you suggested this story, Kat. Tell me why. Well, in a 4-2 vote in July, the commissioners dismissed a complaint um, that would help um, defeat efforts of a uh, Montana ballot measure um, that would have beefed up environmental protections. We can't have this. When we allow foreigners to fund ballot member measures, it's as bad as funding an election candidate because ballot measures are at the heart of democracy and they address significant issues um, to local communities and states. And so what people aren't realizing is they're looking at the Great Reset, this grand agenda that's going on to completely transform our society. So it's not just happening at the highest levels. 
It's very much happening locally. It's almost why and how this uh, this great reset radical transformation is happening at the local level from the United Nations. It's called Agenda 21. Um, people really need to understand how it's insinuated ourselves at the very local level. And so we must promote and protect local democracy and ballot measures um, is very important to that. And for the FTC, FEC, excuse me, um, the Federal Election Committee, to disallow foreigners from contributing to election campaigns is a joke because not-for-profits are not covered. So that accounts for a lot of anonymous, unaccountable foreign money, what they call dark money, into the U.S. elections. And they're constantly saying the dark money is uh, from Russia and China. But hey, if you ask me, the wealthy forces are mostly working on behalf of Israel with that dark money. Yeah, we, we wouldn't, want, wouldn't want to let any foreign countries take over our government, would we? Wait a minute, we already have. Uh, and Trump actually admitted it this week in our next slide. We have that big story about Trump uh, boasting that Israel used to literally own Congress uh, back in the day, and rightfully so. But now that there's a couple of people from the squad who are not quite so hot on the extreme Likudnik form of Zionism, suddenly uh, things are terrible. So, well, I mean, it, this is so typical of Trump. He tells a forbidden truth, but he does it in, in such a stupid way that he's actually serving an even bigger lie than the usual liars. So... Uh, but at least he told the truth. Yeah, Israel did literally own Congress. Unfortunately, it still does literally own Congress. And it hasn't always been this way. In the next slide, we see that back during the Suez crisis, during the Eisenhower administration, Eisenhower and, and Nixon didn't let Israel push them around. And Nixon said, yeah, we'll lose some Israeli votes, right? Who are the Israeli votes? Well, we know there are certain people in America, and they're not of any one religious persuasion. Uh, they're probably more Christian Zionists than Jewish ones like this, these days anyway. We may lose some Israeli votes, but we'll keep the American boys out of the Middle East. Well, that's sure not what happened after 9-11, was it? When Israel attacked America and hijacked the American military into murdering, uh, some say, up to 30 million people, according to Gijin Palya, the expert on avoidable mortality, uh, on behalf of Israel. So things have really gone downhill then. And this, re this story reminds us that you know, back in the 50s, Eisenhower could say, quote, I gave strict orders to the State Department that they should inform Israel that we would handle our affairs exactly as though we didn't have a Jew in America. The welfare and best interests of our own country were to be the sole criteria on which we operated. If Eisenhower were around today and said that, he would be deplatformed and banned and uh, he would be labeled an anti-Semite and a Holocaust denier and his statues would be torn down. Right. Um, the article notes that Israel tried to convince the U.S. the invasion was a defensive measure against terror attacks and Egyptian nationalism. And the U.S. didn't buy it back then. But that 1955 invade to defend tactic is the exact preemptive strikes that the Israelis coached Americans to do when we invaded Iraq in 2003. And another thing that um, came out of all of that is that LBJ, he was the Senate majority leader. He opposed Eisenhower's strong arming tactics against Israel. And I'm sure Mossad never forgot LBJ's loyalty because the minute LBJ came in, um, they made use of him for future crimes. Um, he whitewashed the U.S. liberty. He did an extreme increase in funding of Israel. And um, I think he, LBJ was also involved in the two Kennedy assassinations. Absolutely. And for details, read uh, Lauren Guyanou's books, uh, JFK 9-11. And uh, then there's also one on the uh, Kennedy coups or the Kennedy, I forget the name of that one, 
But uh, Guyano is G-U-Y-E-N-O-T. Uh, very good stuff. All right. So the good news, though, is that even if we've gone downhill since the 50s in certain ways, in very recent years, the young uh, Jewish Americans are starting to wake up. Um, and here's a story from the New York Times that may have a slightly exaggerated headline, Inside the Unraveling of American Zionism. It hasn't unraveled quite yet, but these rabbinical students at the non-Orthodox Jewish institutions, turns out that a, a huge chunk of them are really pissed off about Israeli apartheid and oppression and saying, no, not in my name. And so that's great. Um, yeah, it, but you have to ask, what was the point of this long article? What other group gets such intense solipsistic coverage? I mean, Jewish um, apologetics, uh, when are they going to end? But I did appreciate that there is um, a new thing in um, um, the radical social justice movement of young progressive Jews, and that is an adherence to Judaic law and text. That That is really new because they've always typically been secular. But um, a key thing that I found was they weren't just concerned with Israel's human rights violations, but also um, the power that Jews have in Israel, that um, Jews are no longer the ones who are dispossessed and discriminated against. But if they were really concerned with inordinate power, what they would have instead focused on is not Israel, but look at Jewish power and Jewish supremacy on their home turf in America. It's always been easy for progressive Jews to point the finger at Zionism. But what remains verbatim is pointing the finger at Jewish supremacism, supremacism and Jewish power in the world at large. And this article further institutionalizes the avoidance of that issue. Well, uh, yeah, I, I partially agree with that for sure. And Shaul Kiner, a sociologist at Vanderbilt University, uh, points out, I thought this was kind of extraordinary, that he says, God is not such an important religious symbol in American Jewish life. Israel and the Holocaust are. Well, maybe <laughs> Jewish religious life uh, needs to uh, take stock of where it's gone, uh, because that's uh, that's really pretty pathetic. Um, you know, worshiping these kinds of sorts of demonic lies and, uh, and and genocide symbols. I mean, Holocaust and Israel, those are both genocide symbols. If that's what you're worshiping, it reminds me of the Planet of the Apes movie where they're all worshiping the atomic bomb. You know, Judaism is better than that. It should be better than that. Uh, Anyway, moving on to the war on China and Iran. How about China uh, saying, hey, we better build up our nuclear forces. The Americans might be planning a first strike against us. And I don't think those are vain fears. You know, the U.S. has had an official policy of first strike. If we're going to fight a big war, it's going to, we're going to strike first. That's been the official policy now for more than 30 years. I actually uh, had a, a good radio show discussing how Bob Bowman, uh, exposed that. Bob Bowman was the former head of the uh, Star Wars Space Defense Initiative under Ford and Carter. And uh, this uh, problem uh, of the rising tensions with China, the fact that at the end of the Trump administration, there was that uh, panic both in Beijing and Washington that Trump might try to stage a South China Sea Gulf of Tonkin incident to start a war with China and keep him in office. Uh, and Milley was on the phone constantly with China, raising charges that he was committing treason. Uh, on the other hand, Trump nuking China to get elected would also be a form of treason. Uh, so um, the whole situation is pretty uh, dangerous and chaotic right now. 
Right. It's just straight from the Cold War arms race playbook of divide and conquer. And with the Pentagon projecting a doubling of China's stockpile to 700 warheads and a thousand by 2030. That's what they did to us back with the Russians, um, that the, the Soviets were, were had so many nuclear weaponry. And then when the whole first Cold War was over, it was shown that there was no disparity at all. If anybody had all the warheads, it was the U.S. It, those numbers were completely um, over-exaggerated. And um, our U.S. actions are forcing the Chinese to accelerate their expansion of their nuclear defensive forces. There's a story that has been completely missing from the U.S. media, and that is the cover-up of a U.S. nuclear sub that sank on October 2nd in the South China Sea. Apparently, it struck some kind of object, but there's hardly been any news whatsoever the crew is being held incommunicado for an indefinite period, and the extent of their injuries is being kept secret. The submarine remains hidden from view to conceal the damage, and the U.S. Navy will not allow independent inspection or investigation. So here we get all of this PR advertising from the Pentagon. is Oh, they're doubling up their stock. Meanwhile, they're, we're right in their backyard and can't even admit that a nuclear sub actually had some problems, and we won't even talk about it. China finally started saying, what What's going on here? Why are you exacerbating um, relations in our backyard? Yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting that today we've reached the point where it's China that has to charge the U.S. with lack of transparency. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. unfortunately that's where we are now. Next story, the war on Iran news. Uh, the IRGC, that is the, uh, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps, reports that there was a tussle in the Sea of Oman. The U.S. forces confiscated an oil tanker there. The IRGC naval forces brought in helicopters, landed, took control of the vessel, steered it towards Iran's territorial waters. U.S. forces gave chase, tried to block the tanker with several helicopters and warships, but the Iranians got the ship into their own waters and into their own port. So uh, I guess Iran won that one. Well, I would say the piracy was committed not so much for the oil, but to incite an international incident. And the fact that Israel over this past year has repeatedly been playing cat and mouse attacks on Iranian tankers makes this story a true false flag. Israel attacking under the flag of the U.S. Um, but I do have another point to make is, you know how banks have a way of foiling robbers through something called a die pack? That's a radio control device that causes stolen cash to turn purple permanently. It's too bad that they can't do that with the stolen Iranian oil. Just make it turn purple or something so we know uh, who, who really um, has it at this point. In this incident, um, they got away. Good for them. But what I wish they could turn Israel purple when they're like hiding behind other uh, uh, countries like the U.S. and really commandeering these um, diplomatic um, um, bellicose incidents. It's too bad that all of the trillions of dollars that Israel has cost the United States since its founding, according, and this was according to Christian Science Monitor 20 years ago, it's a lot more now. I wish all of that would turn purple uh, yeah. and be unspendable. Anyway, let's, we're talking about the Zionists. Let's move on to the war on Islam news. And hey, remember, remember, the 5th of November was yesterday. And I remember it only like it was yesterday when on the 5th of November in 2009, Nidal Malik Hassan of Virginia Tech, Bethesda, and Fort Hood, uh, an apparent patsy, shot up uh, Fort Hood, and we were told that he was a uh, troubled Islamic fundamentalist loner, uh, but he was a psychiatrist 
were psychologists. He worked for the military psychology. And as he hung out in the military psychology world, he kept ranting about, you know, how he loved bin Laden and how the Americans were evil and yada, 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 leading many to suspect that the military psychology world programmed him and turned him loose. And the early reports of this shooting said that there were at least two or three gunmen. Uh, a second gunman is in custody after a shooting at the Fort Hood base, uh, according to Dow Jones Newswire and on and on and on. So we brought this news back, even though today it's 2021, and this was back in 2009, uh, because, hey, it's False Flag Weekly News, and we want to remember these false flags so that they don't happen again. Um, Kevin, do you know if there's any kind of database that accounts for all false flags? Not theirs. I'm sure all those people doing these are keeping track. But we need some kind of center for monitoring false flags and other crimes against democracy. Is there one for our side that exists? Well, there should be. But, you know, there's so many darn false flags, Kat, that you'd almost need a supercomputer to keep track of them all. Yeah, Yeah. If anybody out there wants to donate so we can start a a false flag uh, monitoring service, uh, that would be an interesting concept. Um, Complete false flag database. Wow. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, to slice and dice that data for more things than just happened this time, happened then. But to try to get um, better psychological understanding of how it operates, which ones had crisis actors. There's a lot of um, actionable details. If we Mm -hmm. could just use a technology to be able to sort it out for ourselves, you know, they have that. That's why they Mm -hmm. keep getting better and better uh, scripts and actions. But um, I I'm not we, sure how much better they're getting. Honestly. Yeah, we see through them all the same. They're not learning anything from their big data. Indeed. Well, this this false flag uh, from 2009 was part of the keeping the war on Islam going. And the war on Islam involved all kinds of uh, hideous abuses, including torturing prisoners at Guantanamo. And this week, uh, Majid Khan, one of those prisoners, got to tell his story about the torture he underwent, which was probably mostly probably not quite as bad as what some of the beagles uh, under Fauci's care underwent, but hideous. I mean, you know, he was raped. Uh, he was waterboarded in an ice bath. Uh, he had a torture doctor who would repeatedly put hot sauce on the tip of his IV and on and on and on. Uh, so and how long was he locked up? Like 20 years or something? Um, you know, this is a disgusting. Most of the Guantanamo prisoners who were tortured for many years were actually just innocent taxi drivers who were turned in for bounties and things like that. And the handful who weren't were probably, for the most part, uh, very uh, noble individuals who were thinking, trying to honestly defend their people against a rogue regime. They should be seen as heroes, not as terrorists, uh, for the most part. And I, I'll admit that they're, they're bad people on all sides of every struggle. But the people defending Islamic countries against the Zionists and invaders are basically heroes until they prove otherwise. So they tortured innocent taxi drivers and heroes at Guantanamo for 20 years. Your tax dollars at work, folks. Yeah, this is a most shameful chapter in U.S. history. Um, What was unique about Majid among the other Guantanamo prisoners is that he had political asylum in the U.S. Just because he was caught in Pakistan didn't undermine that. And his family are U.S. citizens. His father and sister attended the hearing and saw him for the first time since he was captured in 2006. And when he gave his two hours of personal testimony as a survivor of CIA torture, 
Um, I imagine that's probably the first time his father and sister heard it as well. And, and just imagine the horror, the gruesome horror of it all, of listening to your family member uh, being told how he was raped with a garden hose and um, had to uh, have food be, be fed, quote unquote, through his rectum. Uh, this is just uh, despicable and shameful, and it should be um, headline news everywhere, what we did. And, and if these people who did this stuff can't be prosecuted, then it's time for vigilante justice, right? I mean, what else can you do? Uh, moving on to the Constitution of Medina, uh, I just published a piece in Crescent International, the leading current events Muslim news weekly, um, pointing out that uh, the Taliban are facing a real challenge right now, trying to bring Afghanistan together under an Islamic emir. And to do that, they need to go back to the real Islamic model, which is in the Constitution of Medina, which is a multi Try bringing different tribes and people of different religions and religious interpretations together in one system ruled by the most pious and honest and fair and just individual, uh, advised by the most pious, fair, honest, and just individuals below him. That is the Islamic governance model. They need to do this in Afghanistan. And I, I wrote this piece as a critique of Jeremy Surrey's work. He's a former University of Wisconsin colleague who's talked about the tribalism in Afghanistan which he rightly sees as successful, citing some Sumit Guha's work, but he misses the fact that you need Islam to bring the tribes together. And that's what uh, the Taliban is going to have to do in the face of all this false flag chaos, the uh, Americans and the Zionists bringing in ISIS to slaughter people and try to stir up uh, trouble between people of different tribes and faith traditions. The Taliban is going to have to get a handle on that and shut that down and try their best to live up to the authentic Islamic system. What attracted me about the Medina is its localness, that it's grassroots, it's people-based rather than systems-based per se, with the infusion of a, uh, a spiritual compass, um, which is very different than the, demo, the, than the bureaucratic form of interaction that most Westerners have with their government. Um, and as we see this great reset trying to do, do away with nation states and our laws, um, as flawed as they are, um, what are we going to have when they become, if and when we have to stop it, become um, a centralized global unity? And so the success of the Afghan people through small local network governance might well be our form of resistance against the centralized globalist powers as well. The Afghan people have just been extraordinary warriors against this, this hegemonic globalist state and, um, we should start emulating, and that may include taking on some of their um, religious beliefs as well. Who knows? Allahu Akbar. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's uh, it's funny. I've I've seen a whole lot of sort of you know sympathetic to the Taliban stuff uh, coming from the American sort of libertarian and conservative side, which I never thought I would see. So uh, all I can say is that's that's absolutely great. And the uh, you know Muslims and Christians and people defending traditional sacred values really need to unite because hey, they're trying to push us into a transhumanist, uh, satanic dystopia. And uh, if we're all fighting each other, they're going to succeed. Um, well, let's, let's move on to the culture wars news. How about the shootings? Uh, let's see, there was the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting. He's on trial uh, for what sure looks like self-defense based on the films, but he's a symbol of white nationalism, even though he's not a white nationalist. And Trump support, even though he's, we don't even know if he's a Trump supporter. Uh, he's just a cop groupie, a guy who liked cops and wanted to try to protect some businesses against uh, looting and arson. 
and ended up in a really tough, bad situation. And now this new video footage seems to show very clearly that he was being attacked, had reason to fear for his life. I'm not even sure if he should even really be on trial. And it's not because I sympathize with any of these causes I'm saying this. I'm just looking at the actual videos of what this person did. Um, yeah, well, their case, the prosecution's case just keeps imploding. Um, and the video that supports Kyle's argument for self-defense is just like screaming on steroids. It's an obvious uh, political uh, um, prosecution that's going on for the benefit of the Democrats. But like, for example, the assistant DA tried to get its own witness to say Kyle shot this guy Rosenbaum in the back um, as he was falling. But the witness says no. Kyle shot Rosenbaum as he lunged at him. So it's unbelievable a DA would put a witness on a stand who's making the case for the defendant. Um, but there, there's just other, because of the weakness of the case, the prosecution has to resort to playing dirty. For example, um, one of the guys who aimed a gun at Kyle and Kyle wounded him, um, he had a cell phone. Police got cell phone data from everyone involved. Did they get cell phone data from this guy? His name's uh, Grosskreutz. Um, no, they didn't serve a warrant or get his cell phone. Why? Probably stuff on his phone would be favorable to Kyle's defense. So just like much of what we saw happened at um, the trial in Minneapolis um, over George Floyd, many of the same dirty tricks are coming out here that are unprecedented and are not getting um um, reported at all, as we're going to see in our next story. Okay, well, the next story is on the Ahmed Arbery trial uh, about activists showing up from around the country to support him. And this is uh, the guy who was jogging, um, who was believed by a couple of uh, local vigilantes to be a criminal, and they ended up shooting him under circumstances that are somewhat unclear. And so in some ways, I think this is kind of a Rorschach test. Like, I have these some, you know, some of my uh, audience members are on one side, some are on the other in terms of what's likely going on. I mean, I, I, but in this case, um, you know, it's it's because we don't have that video. Like with the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting, we have enough video to see that that's pretty obviously self-defense. In this case, the defendants are saying that they were it was self-defense because this guy lunged to try to get their gun. But there's no real proof of that. So it's a, a more ambiguous case. And that allows people to project their own feelings about it. Uh, what's your take on this, Kat? Actually, there is a video, but only framed portions of it have been shown that make it look incriminating. Um, there are facts that this jury is never going to hear because they have been thrown out and are not allowed to be put forward. For example, um, Aubrey was a uh, Arbery was a uh, convicted felon for unlawful gun possession at a school. All right. Um, the reason the guys went after him is well, because, I would think gun, gun rights people would be sympathetic with him. then. Well, whatever. It's going to be thrown out. Um, there was suspicion of felony burglary at a home under construction that was caught on camera and surveillance video also caught him repeatedly casing the home, which he then ran in flight on where they went after him. Um, so he was convicted for shoplifting. Um, that's not allowed to be put in. When well, it, come on, though. I mean, get the guy shot dead, and then because when in the past he was convicted for shoplifting, how is that going to make any difference? Well, because he was casing the joint, um, it's suspicion of burglary. He's going into the home. There's, I've seen video of him in this home under construction that he was casing. 
Then the other thing that's not going to be let in is he has a schizoaffective disorder, which has made him violent. His own mother has called the police on him, warning about his combative behavior. And he was actually off his meds when he was caught, um, the meds that control his anger, and he had marijuana in his system. So this whole thing is just going to, um, it, it's partly going to fuel um, the racial wars that they want to have. Um, and it's for glorified ambulance chasers. These shyster lawyers have created extortionary lawsuits to enrich themselves and the family, and they're manipulating guilt to make excuses for bad behavior. They're trucking these people in. Who is this organization in the article? Transformative Justice Coalition. I tried to track them down. It's like looking for offshore bank yeah, accounts. Yeah, there are a couple of articles over at uns.com that get into the kind of the background of these groups that are raising a lot of money uh, on these cases. Right. It is interesting. It's, sometimes it seems like on some of these cases, like like uh, George Floyd and maybe to a, some, a lesser extent, Ahmed Avery, these are not really the most sympathetic uh, victims that you could pick. Like Philando Castile was a totally normal guy who got shot down, obviously, unjustly. And yet everybody's paying attention to these other names where it's really more you know controversial, where you could get people all riled up on both sides. And I wonder if they're doing that intentionally. Oh, I totally believe they are. Um, in the past, there were people who were set up by um, a racist uh, climate. So black people, I believe in the past, did have to deal with unjust persecution and prosecution. But now history is being manipulated in different ways in a racist climate. Only this time it's reverse. It's against white people and they're using critical race theory and tabloidy um, completely erroneous um, um, trials to uh, get um, the complete reverse. White people are being set up um, in these show trials. Um, greater sociopolitical issues at play for why this are happening, and we're not allowed to really go there. It's just kept on, oh, this is just basic racism, and it's really not. I believe there's so much more there that's not being spoken about. Well, I think it would be great for America and other countries to come to terms with their racist past, but maybe it's not happening the way it should these days. Another example of that, you sent in this Colin Kaepernick story. Um, the headline is that he's comparing NFL training camps to slavery. Now, I remember when I was young, uh, the percentage of black football players in the NFL was, was much lower than it became because in those days there really was discrimination. And it seems like most of that discrimination now is gone. But now uh, playing in the NFL is like slavery. Well, maybe in some ways. But I, when I was on the high school football team, it sometimes felt sort of like slavery when coaches yelling at you and you have to slam into the blocking dummy and stuff like that. But uh, I think Colin Kaepernick here may be uh, exaggerating a tad. These football players are getting the medical attention normally reserved for a head of state. They're getting the, the, the well, most... But, but, and beat up so bad they need it yeah that too they're getting just superb medical attention so in this upside down orwellian world that sold to us as cruel slavery i mean there's no logic anywhere well, well, okay. I, I, you know for a quarterback like kaepernick who's making good money you know he had a had one great year i guess um yeah i think that's kind of out of line however if you actually delve into this and look at what's life like for some of the less celebrated players uh, and some of the less celebrated positions where they get paid a lot less and they end up all with concussions and their bodies are permanently in pain. Uh, it's so, you know, I, I'm not sure that Kaepernick is entirely wrong about this. Uh, there's a, 
but I, I don't think that it's a racial thing in the NFL. I mean, I think there are problems uh, with football, and maybe they're endemic to the the game and the sport the way it is. Um, but it's it's all food for thought. And certainly, whatever you think about Kaepernick, he had, he has stirred the pot and made people think. Um, rodeo also is very dangerous and has similar concussion problems. And yet we don't hear about the racism there because rodeos are completely embraced by um, indigenous and Mexican-American cultures. And even black Americans are there and, of course, white. But um, you don't hear it about rodeo. And it's probably more endemic, the injuries. Interesting point. Well, I, I don't know much about rodeo, so we'll uh, just have to ride on over to the next story down the list, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> the greatest. This is the real story here, folks, that all this other stuff is distracting you from, which is we're living through the greatest transfer of wealth from the middle class to the elites in history. So it's not so much the football players who are being enslaved. It's everybody. We're all being enslaved. It's debt slavery. And the billionaires are sucking up all the wealth. So we'll be in worse and worse debt slavery. To me, that's kind of the, the story of, of the, of the year, maybe even the millennium. I really wish that this exact headline would be side by side as every night we see the COVID count on TV. Maybe then people would put two and two together, but, um, what I found um, just particularly sickening is that the Biden administration proposes to hire 87,000 new IRS agents allegedly to ensure billionaires pay their, pay their fair share. But there's fewer than 1,000 billionaires in the U.S. So how are these new 87,000 IRS agents going to be kept busy? Um, the article also noted that a new forthcoming law requires 1099K reporting on eBay and Etsy. So this is the middle class, uh, how they wheel and deal, not billionaires. Um, it's it's the middle class that this is going after. It's just really um, uh, unprecedented and why people cannot, uh, well, people see it, but they feel disempowered. And the, those who typically always went after the establishment and the um, ruling class have now been completely taken out. And that is the liberal left. And they're right in bed with these people. So yeah. We're, we're in we're in a pickle. Indeed. Well, uh, this article points out that prior to the pandemic, uh, 30 million small businesses made up about half of the economy. And that's shrunk quite a bit now. So it is a, a lot of it is a small business versus big business thing. And now that the big businesses are pushing forced vaccinations, maybe not only the people who are forced out from those businesses, but all the rest of us should just boycott all the big businesses as much as you possibly can. If you ever have any choice at all, you know, pay more to give your money to the local hardware store than to give it to Walmart or the big hardware store. You know, uh, just that, that, and, you know, I'm not going to advocate any illegal tactics, but really this, I think we need a really a, a war on this oligarchy. At this point, it's, you know, they're making war on us. It's class war and they, they declared it. It's a war of aggression from their side. And maybe it's time for us to start defending ourselves. Um, and if that doesn't work, I guess we can always try to flee the country. <laughs> and where are we going to go though? Because there are only three countries on earth left without travel restrictions. And guess what? You'd better start learning Spanish. Se habla español, sí, sí. Yo, yo quiero viajar en México, uh, República Dominica y Colombia. The three countries left on Earth all are in Latin America, Mexico, Dominican Republic, and Colombia. So maybe it's time for a reverse migration. We should be busting down Trump's wall so we can flee the other direction, uh, swim the Rio Grande, and head south. Um, I'm almost ready to do that. It's getting cold here in Wisconsin. 
And uh, I'm not sure how this uh, looming civil war is going to go. So I'm, I'm making plans already to, to sneak over Trump's wall. Well, you better not go to Colombia. They just buckled. Um, it didn't take them too long to get black rocked. <laughs> okay, Colombia has so been two countries uh, now. So, so only two countries now. My goodness. Well, you know, maybe the only escape then is not through Latin America, but rather through Dallas, Texas, Dealey Plaza. Is there a, a time and space warp, a chronosynclastic infundibulum in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas, where JFK Jr. is going to materialize after Trump is reinstated as president and beam us all up into a better place than this? Apparently, there's a QAnon movement out there that's entertaining this sort of <laughs> speculation. Um, and uh, the local conspiracy theory police, uh, Hacho, uh, Jared Holt of the councils did the Atlantic Council, right? They're the one that put me on the, on the, on the top 10 conspiracy per, uh, super spreaders list. Uh, this guy, Jared Holt from their digital forensic research lab says, quote, frankly, I'm kind of shocked at how many people turned out for this. This wasn't a widespread belief, even among QAnon followers. It says the fact that a large number of people were able to mobilize in person over a conspiracy theory is concerning. Well, uh, you've got people mobilizing in New York, Kat, and uh, I bet they think that's concerning, too. Oh, yeah, they were definitely in their COINTEL crosshairs. But uh, this whole QAnon thing, it's one big psyop to start with. Um, And for them to actually put forth this preposterous claim, it's just purely for uh, propaganda purposes. I I just wonder, when will the powers that be ever get enough of inflicting pain on the Kennedy family? It's just sickening. Yeah, yeah, well, QAnon, uh, the return of JFK Jr., I don't know where it's all going to go from here. But, uh, yeah, if, if our job is to separate the true conspiracy theories from the false ones, I guess we, we have to admit that uh, it's not time to go to Dallas to get beamed up. Rather, it's time to go to New York to join Kat McGuire in her raucous street festivities. So, hey, yeah. congratulations, Kat. You did a great job on this stuff. Happy Halloween. Uh well, I'm sorry we started late because now I'm late for um, a- an action we're doing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Art is our birthright. We should be allowed to go in that museum and not have to be vaccinated to go see our art. Okay, we'll see you in the museum if I can get there fast enough from Wisconsin. And otherwise, uh, whenever uh, we get the chance, I'm really looking forward to someday having the chance to participate with you in one of these events because they're just getting bigger and better all the time. Congratulations. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Thanks for your great job here at False Flag Weekly News. And thank you to our viewers and supporters who keep us going and keep us from having to depend on the Soros Foundation, the Gates Foundation, and all that sort of thing. Uh, we'd much rather be listeners supported through crowdfunding. Very much appreciated. So thanks, Kat. Uh, see you next time. Okay. Thanks. Bye, Kevin. Bye.